wanted to flip it around a little bit today. And in, instead of like starting with a little conversation, I want to start by thanking our Patreon supporters. Ooh. I even caught you guys off guard yeah. with that, didn't I? Yeah. Blindside. Oh, you did. Awesome. <laughs> Hold on, let me get up off the floor. Hold it's on. totally worthwhile. Um, no, seriously, though, I want to go ahead and like thank them. Because we always do that at the end, and I want to make sure that they get the thanks. If they don't listen all the way through, or not everybody listens, I want to make sure that they get thanked. Because the three of us uh, do a lot of sponsorship work in our videos, right? We get sponsored by a lot of different companies, and we always have to do ad reads and stuff. And one of the cool things about doing this podcast is we don't have to do that, and that's solely because of the Patreon supporters. So um, I wanted to just say thank you to them for helping us out, for making this show possible. And they the only thing that we really give them back is the after show, which is a little, it's a separate little short podcast after this one on a different feed. And it's more of us talking. There's sometimes secret stuff. There's like upcoming stuff. Sometimes Jimmy has pants on. Sometimes he doesn't. Pants are optional. It's just like... It's what part of... You gotta wait and find handsome, out. Handsome beards. Totally optional. Yeah, he has no beard right now. <laughs> I shaved my beard. <laughs> I look like a lizard. A handsome lizard. <laughs> Thank you. But um, if you want to help out the show, you can go to patreon.com slash making it. I want to say big thanks to our top supporters over there. Corey Ward, Works by Solo, Chad from Mancrafting, Maker in Training, Fun Kiss Artistic Creations, Blondie Hacks, You Can Make This Too, Modern DIY, Jenny and Davis, and make, build, modify. Thank you. I've got that. I've got that list almost memorized because those have been our top patrons for a very long time. We're really grateful for them and Thank for for everybody else, really. But yes, so thanks. I did my new intro. Now you guys got to do something. Oh, David, man. what have you been up to? <laughs> I'm still working on the closet organization thing. It's a it's a two week project. I mean, I haven't been working on it for two weeks straight, but. We only film video one or two days a week. So that's coming along good. Today I'm going to install a light in there. And I think what we built is going to be pretty effective for our for our closet. So that I don't have anything else really. Well, so with that, you haven't put a video out on that, on that yet, right? No, not yet. No. Okay. So what's the, like... What's the change? What's the the efficiency, or what's the thing that you're doing to make it better, or so, or is that a surprise for the video? No, 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 no. Uh, what? So the closet has uh, a, like a big door. It's supposed to have like the folding doors, and it opens up to like a hundred and five inch wide doorway. And inside there, we had this IKEA modular system that didn't utilize the full space. The space that it did use, it used efficiently because you had multiple layers of, of hanging clothes and, and spaces uh, to put up rolled up sweaters. But it didn't utilize the space at the very ends because the the system took up the entire doorway. And so there was actually empty space beyond the doorway, if that makes sense. Because when you go into the closet, there's still uh, two feet for that goes left and right further than than the doorway. Yeah. So I built a thing that goes down the middle that has we we have a lot of sweaters uh, in Ohio. You wear a lot of sweaters, and so how we store our sweaters is they get rolled up and then put on a shelf. And so I made a, uh, a removable pin shelf system to put all our sweaters, and then below that has a just a drawer for odds and ends. And then a big drawer that pulls out, and there's two clothes hampers in there. So that is the that is the thing that we built that goes in the middle. And then clothes hanging poles are going to go on either side of that in three three um, tiers. So you can do two tiers of shirts and then have a tier of pants below that. And it's going to utilize the full space. We're putting in new lighting. It's got motion detection lighting, LED lights in there. And oh, I, and it's a very very small part of the video, but I repaneled the whole closet. I basically just got 1/8 inch maple or a quarter inch maple plywood, redid all the walls so it just looks like paneling in there. Hmm. And I tore out the carpet and put in a piece of maple plywood on the bottom. And so it's it's instead of being dark like it was, it's it's light and 
it'll be a, just a good efficient use. And I'm hoping like people will see this and be like, you know what, that's a great idea. Maybe I can do that for my closet. That's the, that's the purpose of the video. Cool. I did a closet redo for my boys a couple of years ago. Well, several years ago now. And it was one of those things like I kind of went back and forth on whether I should make a video about it because it just didn't seem like a very check this out today. We're going to make a closet kind of video. (laughs) But it turned out that it was super useful for a lot of people. Everybody has closets. Everybody has really bad closets and they have a (laughs) bunch of stuff they had to put in them. So uh, you'll probably get a pretty good response. You know, people going, oh, that would make mine better, too. And and the great thing is we used a track saw for most of it. And which means you could use a circular saw and a straight edge to to make this, which is great. That's a lot of people have access to a circular saw. So it'll be it'll be fun. We actually have another closet idea. We have this big closet in our hallway that has two sliding doors. And when we redid the flooring, we just took the doors off because it made the hallway feel more open. And we're actually going to build in a a counter in there and then have drawers and cabinets and then shelves above that so it's a it's a it'll be a visible closet so well it'll be hmm. will force us to be a little bit more organized and and maybe kelly can make some baskets or whatever for the for the counter so we have a couple of closet makeover projects coming up how do you think you'll um you'll uh once you have one closet thing up on your channel or one completed thing how do you think you'll come back and do another closet video since this one is not for clothes it is just for pure storage it's going to be completely different you think of like a um well i mean like voicing it like so when somebody sees the second video they're gonna be like oh another closet yeah like are you gonna uh if i do my title and thumbnail right i won't have to voice it any different and people will be like you know (laughs) this is a brand new different project different thing yeah yeah. And add electronics to one or the other. This way. <laughs> well, there's motion detection mm-hmm. LEDs in the closet we're doing now. There you go. Hmm. Cool. Yeah. Right That's on. It. That's it. Well, Jimmy, what have you been up to other than shaving? <laughs> uh, well, I looked like a, a caveman the other day. So I have like a, those like the buzzers that just buzz like the back of your neck usually. But anyway, I just that's usually what I shave with. So I couldn't find the clip that makes it like a number one depth. So I just did the full depth. So now I have a little stubble. It'll come back quick. I really don't like the way I look like this. I look at myself as oh, I like having a little shadow. Anyway, it'll come back soon. Yeah. So I was Besides telling you guys that, beforehand, I started... like I'd, I'm afraid to shave too close because I don't know what I'm going to look like. <laughs> And I have like a really a pretty patchy, like a frog with glasses, pretty patchy on. beard. So if I get too low, you're going to be able to tell that I have a really patchy beard. So <laughs> I just don't do it. Uh, so I, I this this week I did something a little different. I, I got I always get nice mail from fans that's beautiful notes, and one of them was from a young boy, nine years old, who said, "Make me a batarang." And he drew a picture of the batarang, and he said, I want this edge to be sharp, so when you throw it into a, a tree, it sticks in the tree. It was really funny. He gave me some very specific instructions. So <laughs> I was like, you know what? That's gonna, what I'm going to do. I'm just going to make him a batarang. So I, I mulled over various different ways of making this simple video of me just making a batarang. I first thought of making his out of wood and making one for his dad out of metal. And then I was like, you know what? I was a nine-year-old kid. I would have wanted mine out of steel and really sharp. So... I'm going to mail it to his dad. I'll let his dad be the discretionary person to decide how to dole it out to the child. So I went straight into plasma cutting, about 10 of them out of a, an old saw blade. I did a little social media on it, but that'll be my video for next week. And today, so out of the nine or 10 of them that I made, we just sharpened the edge of one, you know, just the, the edge and on both wings, rather. And one of them I'll make like super buff and shiny. And so the rest will all be just kind of the, the the rusty texture of the. We looked online. Brett showed me that a lot of the batarangs are all dark except for the shiny sharp edge, in the various different ones that we found. So I'm going to keep it kind of like that, but one I'm going to buff up nice and shiny. So I'm working on that. And then last night, it's funny. I, I always I have this theory that I always say like if you got to move something heavy, at least you know you got to move it to there. So just put it there, and then once you get there, you'll figure how to go so far and so on. And that happened yesterday with uh, these, I got the big fans, that's what they're actually called, BAF for the workshop. And I got them like 10 months ago. And every about once every two months, they send me a note, how's it going? Did you install the fans yet? And 
I just been so busy. I just never had a chance to do it. So yesterday my buddy came and he's like, what do you need help with? I'm like, oh, let's just go pull the fans out. He really likes putting things together. So I always give him complicated things to do. <laughs> and, cool. and so I said, let's yeah. look at the fans and you could start looking at the instructions. It's like, sure. And so fast forward to, we just like one bit at a time, like, oh, oh, this goes here. Oh, cool. I thought I was going to make a bracket and he opens up the instructions. He's like, one of those boxes has a bracket in it. You just got to figure out how to install it. And so one by one, and we got on the scissor lift and we started playing within the ceiling. And, and they'll both be hung up later today. They, they'll still need to be electrified, but they'll be hung up and ready to go, you know, a few hours after this podcast. So that just reminds me to remind you guys, you know, if you have this task that's daunting and just seems overwhelming, just like take a little piece of it at a time. Like, okay, what what is it? Like unbox it, for instance, that, that gets you going. Because for me, those... There's two fans, and each fan has like eight boxes of equipment. Of course, the one big pallet that has the most prominent piece, the motor. And these like 15 boxes are in the shop, and I just was like so overwhelmed by them. Like, oh, I I, I hate unboxing stuff. I wish everything came just as if it was like right off the end of the assembly line. Unboxing things, I just hate the material, the packing material. I feel like I'm like ruining the earth by throwing all this stuff in a garbage that like was simply meant to just get it from here to here. Like if the person who made it just brought it to me a little bit more casually, we wouldn't need all this like millions and thousands and trillions of tons of extra stuff made every year. I know that's a pipe dream, so I know we need packaging, but it just seems so illogical when you think of like all the stuff we, we make to throw right in the garbage. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so uh, unboxing it was a really good first step. We started digging into it, looking at all the different stuff and and setting apart. Obviously, there's, there's two, so... We had to divide up all the parts and make two piles and because some of the boxes already got open because when I have a class, people want to send back their stuff that they make. And so this, there was these like 15, 20 boxes in the corner and people would like pile, like dump out the pile of screws and go, oh, this is, was I'm going to use this box. Is that all right? Because I know this fan's going to get installed. That happened one day when I wasn't around. So I was like, uh, okay, I guess so. So they were like random parts like in the tray. Because the box was already used to ship somebody's stuff back to New, you know, from New York. Anyway, long story short, baby steps. A lot of little steps lead up to the one big one. So I want to back up if we can, because I felt silly because I had no idea what a battering was. So I looked it up, and <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, it's it's the it's like the throwing star for Batman, correct? Yeah, yeah, okay. that's right. All right, and uh, I, that just yeah caught me off guard. I'm like, oh, Jimmy's doing a like a DC comic thing, which is which is awesome. I, and that was a yeah. suggestion from a fan, right? A young boy, yeah. He sent me like I got a letter in my PO box, and and on it it said, "Open me." And it was, and I looked. I'm like, okay, this was written by a kid, unless okay. it's a, an adult who just didn't graduate school. But I, I realized it, and then I opened it up, and it says, I'm a nine-year-old boy in Texas. It's, now, see, I, I want to point out, though, that real quick, this week you made a Batarang from Batman, right. and last week you right. made a sword thing from a kafufafu from <laughs> Star Trek. <laughs> okay, that sounds like, wow, Jimmy's kind of becoming a nerd, right? He likes yeah, someone. Right. And then last week you also didn't know what Avengers Endgame was. Oh, yeah, so weird. <laughs> so that just... <laughs> That just killed it. So weird. I'm it's just a, messing with you. What is Avengers Endgame again? Remind me. It's so funny because we get suggestions from. That was in the after show. Yeah, by yeah, the way. it was. Was it? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Bob asked me if I knew what Avengers Endgame was, and I was like, is that the new special at McDonald's? He just, oh man. <laughs> Ugh. Ugh. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> we get suggestions from comments and emails and, and tweets all the time on, on what to build. And I would, I, mo- I would say in most cases, those of us making woodworking projects and content not ignore them, but we make what we want to make. And we, so it's, yeah, it's, we ignore it's, it. It's, it's, yeah. <laughs> so it's great that you, that you did that. I got a, I got a suggestion the other day in the comments of like, I need a table for a 2013 computer and the table needs to be, gave me the dimensions for it. And like, if you could make a video on that, that would be great. Like very specific. Yeah. just to, <laughs> And then send yeah. it to. <laughs> yeah. I get a lot of those. It was just so adorable that it was all handwritten. And of course, like, you know, in childlike handwriting, but he drew a picture 
and he drew on the diagram exactly what I should do. Like, make sure this is sharp. <laughs> He's being a little bit more like your computer table guy. No, but it was just, I was like, I didn't even know or care if the real Batarang looked like what he drew. I just made exactly uh-huh. what he drew, but I That's cleaned cool. it up. That's awesome. And it, yeah, so his interpretation of what a Batarang was is what I made. Uh-huh. So when I put it out there, people are going to be sending me links to what right. it really looks like. Because then Brett pulled it up and he goes, well, this is what it, really, it looks more like a, uh, uh, like a, like a, Thunderbird logo where it's like the wings come like they point out like like uh what am I doing? I'm doing like the uh King Tut. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like yeah. the wings point straight left and right as opposed to the way he might have made one. It looks more like the nineteen sixties Batman. Yeah, on, That's the honestly that there's made. been a whole bunch of different shaped batterings, so yeah. you're probably good. I mean somebody I'm sure will, you know, push their glasses up their nose and be like, Well actually it looks like this one, but you're as a logo right. nerd, I, I a long time ago, I came across the evolution of the the Batman logo, and it's great. Oh yeah, yeah, it's 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 awesome. it's really great to look at because you can see how as times change, things get more pointy and a little bit more. I I don't know the right word, but sinister, a little bit more. I don't know, but it's it's really cool. I'm yeah, sure, I'm sure it's it's out there somewhere. I'll see if I can find that because it is just, a really cool graphic. It's just a big panel of I don't know, probably like thirty different versions or something, right? of you know just the timeline it's cool you just reminded me well i just got a vision i completely forgot uh, i'm excited to tell you guys this little tidbit of information so i signed a deal to make a, a big advertisement cool project build for a big company three big companies actually they're all together in this one thing um but they said aaron draplin is involved in designing some of the graphics and you guys know who aaron yeah. draplin yeah is? totally He's an amazing graphic designer. He's a really inspirational speaker, too. So if any of you guys are interested in design, graphic design, look him up. By the way, uh, so by the way, I meant to just remind, you reminded me, and that's why I'm saying it, that I might be working on a logo, like a like a sign-ish graphic to be integrated into this thing that Aaron Draplin's oh. designed. Hmm. And he's going to be like in on the conversation. So I might actually get a chance to talk to him. So I'm excited. I have one of his cool. books and he does a great course on Skillshare, too. Mm-hmm. It's probably the yep. most famous yep. graphic designer out there right now. Yeah. Uh, I found that, that graphic, well, it's like an article uh, about the Batman logo, so I'll put a link to it in the show notes if anybody wants to see it. Um, for me, this, well, <laughs> I've been working on stuff a few weeks ahead, which is great to be there again. Uh, so it's kind of weird, but the thing that's coming out this week I did before I went on vacation, so like three weeks ago. Um, but we made a, a new bike rack. So years ago, I made a bike rack to go outside in front of our house, and we have four kids, so we have a lot of bikes. And my wife and I both have bikes, and the kids have scooters and skateboards and big wheels, and we had used to have tricycles. You know, it was like we had a bunch of stuff. So I made this big, I think it was like 12 feet long, and it just had a bunch of slots on the back of it where you could just pull in all the different bikes. And it was outside because that's what we had to, to deal with at our last house. Well, now we have a garage that we keep all those in, but we have fewer bikes now. Now the kids all have a bike and a couple of them still have scooters. So there's just less to deal with. And since they're inside, we don't have the same amount of space to just like pile up a bunch of extra bikes and stuff. Anyway, so it's in this garage, which is also where my Glowforge is and uh, my paint booth. And so there's other stuff in there. And it's where we often bring materials through there to get to the shop and stuff like that. So I wanted to make a bike rack that could kind of get out of the way if we needed to roll in a big tool or bring in a whole bunch of wood or something. We could get stuff out of the way. And so usually bike racks are, uh, for each bike, there's a little triangle that's mounted to a wall and it's the bottom face or bottom edge of the triangle is like a place where a wheel sits, right? I mean, this is like what every bike rack in the world looks like. So for hours, I decided to get rid of the triangle. And so now it's just an L shape. And so, but the bottom is tall enough that the wheel will sit in it and stay in place and the bike won't fall over. So it's the same effect, but it's just a different shape. But the advantage there is that the bottom of the L can hinge and fold up off the floor and get out of the way when we're not using it. And so the bike rack is a bunch of L's facing out into the room, but each one of the L's can also pivot on the 
I don't know how to say this, on the vertical part of the L can spin within the thing that's housing. So you can pull a bike into it and then lean the bike at an angle so that they're not sticking out perpendicular to the wall. You can make them stick out from the wall at an angle. So it gets them all closer to the wall. And when you have six bikes, that makes a pretty big difference for the walkway. And so it was like one of those things I kept thinking about for a long time. Like I overcomplicated it a thousand times. And I was like, wait a second, this is actually really, really simple. And um, it was one of the very few projects that I actually did a test for. Usually I'll just jump in and figure it out as I go. And this one I was like, all right, I'm going to mock this up make one for the biggest bike and make sure that it can hold the weight and it can actually pivot and all this stuff. And it, I had to adjust it a little bit, but it totally works. And so it was like a, I don't know, like a day, maybe two day build really quick. They're hard mounted to the wall, but you know, we can, all the bikes are now organized and like not laying on each other. <laughs> you can pick up one bike without moving the other five. And, uh, Sounds like a kind of boring thing, but it actually made that part of our house like way more usable. And the kids can get to their bike easily now. They're not in the way. So that's what I've been doing. And, and it's like one of those really simple things that you know didn't take much material, didn't take much time, but it made a, a significant difference in like the way that we interact with a room in our house. I love stuff like that. Like fun things, you know, making lightsabers and stuff is cool. But when something actually makes it easier to get in and out of a room, like that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So I did that. And what else? I've been doing a bunch of other stuff that will be out in a few weeks, but uh, I can't think of anything else pressing. So we had kind of a topic. Do we have kind of a topic? I, th- um, I thought maybe we could talk about efficiency. What do we do in the shop, in the office to be more efficient with our times? Oh, it's so like lately my life has been so scattered. I just literally, it's like my life, like if you imagine like a, a, a pond with a bunch of lily pads and each lily pad has a various project and I just hop from one to another with no, with no order. But that might change today because I, I, hopefully this project will start and then it has to be done by the end of August. So I have a lot of work to do, but <clears throat> leading up to and in between projects, I'm typically very scattered. It has, I have a hard time focusing. I just jump from one thing to another and I just got to kind of like ask myself, okay, what needs to be done? What has to be done? Let me just focus on that. And uh, there are like the fans, for instance, you know, I get, a, they're very nice. They don't pressure me. They just want to know so they don't miss it. So they keep asking me, hey, any movement on that? We just want to make sure that we, we coordinate. And, uh, so I felt a little bit of pressure from the from the last email I got from the fans. So I had found a window. I was like, you know what? I need to clean up the big shop. It's full of junk right now because we just keep putting things in there that I don't install. I've put things in there that I don't unbox. And so we went in there and I got two things done. I cleaned up the whole corner of the shop. I got rid of a lot of cardboard and I got the fans installed. So I felt quite efficient last night by just confronting something. But when it comes to efficiency, I the one thing that helps me the most and so stupid is that... Uh, you know, Tom Sachs always says, know your workplace. And that's like, every once in a while I say to Brett, I go, let's just know the whole <coughs> room because it makes me feel like we're getting, we could move on to the next step with a little bit of clarity. And if you don't know what knowing means, it means just like squaring up and, and organizing everything, even if it's not put away on the table, just organizing everything in a grid pattern. Or I have this like OCD tendency to like organize everything right down the center of the table. And this weekend we had family over and the back dining table, this big like banquet dining table on the back of the porch, which where we all hang out at. And there's ketchup and mustard and things all over. And I kept obsessively lining everything up down the middle of the table. So the whole center of the table, like every 20 minutes would have everything lined up down it. And within 20 minutes, it would be scattered all over the table. And then I'm obsessively lining it all back up in the middle. I wonder if that's the part of your brain that's always constructing and, and, and building stuff. And that's your way of when you're away from tools to, to build something. Well, so like the, the possibly it is absolutely possible because I couldn't do a thing. I had to just like hang out with my family, which is <laughs> we don't catch up that much. But I couldn't do. I anything. was totally like, I stuck like, <laughs> with people I love. I really was. I sat there with my brother, and we I did not move for like six hours, except for just to get ketchup or move it or put it away. But it was good. We had a really nice couple of laughs, and it was fun. 
But uh, yeah, when it comes to just trying to be efficient, I, for me personally, I always have to just keep asking myself, okay, what is the next thing that, that, that has to happen? And I do that incrementally. Like, it's hard for me to look at a whole project and, and, and not feel overwhelmed. So I just look at whatever the next step is. And for me, that is the most efficient. I say, okay, by you know the next hour, these three things have to be done. It's not the whole project. I don't know how I'm going to finish that part. Again, I keep using it today as an example, but the fans, I didn't know how they were going to be hung because they're not being hung in a traditional ceiling. You, I didn't even look at the instructions until last night, but all the solutions they show you is to hang the fan from a big giant web truss, which is where they typically get hung from inside of a big giant arena or a stadium or a store, like a big box store. And my, I have these scissor trusses. So right away, we're looking at them like, okay, what do I have to do? And because I hadn't confronted it, it was overwhelming. But when I confronted a little bit at a time and knew exactly what the next step was, then I was able to get some clear answers. But looking at the whole picture to me is, is I guess you might say, is inefficient for me. What's efficient for me is to just look at the first, second, or third steps that are, that are clearly presented to me as the project goes on. The, I think the, the most important thing is starting from a clean slate. So the shop is perfectly clean. It's, it's beautiful. It's swept up. There's, everything is put away every time we start a new project. And I think that just helps me mentally get ready for that project. And when, it, when I'm actually working with the project, especially with sheet goods, a lot of times you have to do some rough cuts because you can't cut the full length and then cut cross cut because you need pieces to be a certain size. So I'll do all of the rough cuts at, at first. And then if you're working with sheet goods, usually you can make all your cuts before assembly. And so I look to see if everything that's going to be 28 inches wide, we're going to cut that first and then I'm not moving the fence on the saw. And then I cut all of the pieces. Yeah. That's, that's a really good point. I absolutely do that. That's like this thing that I have to build that I'm talking about for this month is uh, I have to build three of the same object. And so I will definitely cut all the material at the exact same time. Actually, I have to build three of them and film them. So what I'll probably do is build two completely off mm-hmm. camera. And then the third one will film the whole thing. But that will be the third one I make, the one we film. And that's so that I can get through the first two really quickly, figure out all the quirks and the in, you know, idiosyncrasies of making those things. And then they'll be in the background while I make the third one the whole time. And then I will have a a much better handle on how to make the third one. I'll make improvements to the technique improvements and I'll be looking for the opportunities to make interesting camera moves and stuff like that. So the first two, it's going to, it's actually from what, for what we do, it, it is quite a relief to be able to just breeze through one or two objects and not have to film them and then use that same experience to film the third one. You know, it's funny in that, in that case, I never, well, not never. I usually don't think about doing two fully off camera and then do another one. I'll kind of like, I kind of do it the wrong way. I kind of do it the opposite where I'll build one and shoot it. And then I'm like, okay, now I'll just rush through the other two when it would make a lot more sense to <laughs> like figure out the problems. Yeah. Especially when you're working with somebody you. else, they can see exactly what you're going to do and they can get the shot yeah. that you need. I'm just looking. Hmm. Uh, yeah. I'm just looking for interesting opportunities that I otherwise wouldn't think of, especially, you know, if you get to do anything two times, you think of a better way to do it. Right. So that's, that's, that's my theory is that if you do it the second time, you'll figure out better, more interesting ways to do it. And you're thinking in two heads, you're thinking in the filmmaker and you're thinking as the maker. Hmm. So, uh, expanding on the, on, you know, if everything cut, do all your, uh, light cuts at the same time, you know, all your 20 inch cuts and then, move on to the next thing. And when I'm working with sheet goods, a lot of times it's being assembled with pocket hole screws. So I'm able to cut all the pieces all at once. And then I can clear off the table saw or the bench or whatever, and then do the assembly. And maybe there's multiple assemblies and then there's one big transformer where they all come together to make the big assembly. But you're not cleaning up uh, this station and going back and forth to the table saw and, and, and redoing everything and then cleaning up again. So that's something that really helps us. In the video, I might show us making one thing, and you might see me go back to the table saw to do the next part, but that's just to tell the story of, to keep keep the video simple. Like, we're just working on this part, and then we're going to move on to this part. 
but behind the scenes sorry does that ever no. come back to bite you when you like pre-cut everything uh i don't think so um i mean we only pre-cut everything when it's being assembled with pocket hole screws or some sort of joinery mm-hmm. like that sometimes things need to be cut to fit and so you have to sneak up on a cut and maybe those pieces are saved for later or you just do that when it comes time for that i typically will cut things to fit even if i don't know maybe i just don't trust my own precision well i know i don't trust my own precision but a lot of times i'll just cut things as i go to fit anyway but there was one time i built some uh, bunk beds for my boys like not the ones that they currently have in our old house. So it was probably before I started doing video. And my dad was in town helping me. And he always still tells the story where I cut all of the material, two by fours and plywood and MDF for an entire set of bunk beds with storage on each thing, cut the every single thing before I started putting anything together. And when I look back on that, and there were no mistakes, like it actually went together perfectly. And he always like, uses that as like, I can't believe he did that. And then I'm looking back going, I can't believe I did that either because that <laughs> should not have worked. And I would not trust myself to do that now. Well, you know? if- <laughs> See, I never do that. I always yeah. build on top of something. Like if I'm making a, like a, a, a making cabinet like that, I would build the framework first and then build all the drawer pockets yeah. to fit the exact drawer that I made for it or vice versa. You know, I would always build off of... I mean, that makes so much more sense, yeah. yeah just so it's... For me, it's right. So, of, but the, so the, ahead, sorry, the closet organizer that we're building now, there's there are three permanent shelves and then there are multiple uh, removable shelves and that determines the width of the cabinet. So if I cut all of those at the same time and it's... 30 inches wide, I know it's going to go together exactly because I never moved the fence and they're all cut then. And this is going to go together just the way it it should. Now, when we haven't made the drawers yet, that's what we're going to do tomorrow. And we're going to make that to fit inside the cabinet. But just to be efficient, we're trying to do as much as we can all at once before moving on to the next station or the next area in the shop. Hmm. Um, So I have... I love efficiency and like productivity type stuff. And so I, I spent a lot of time thinking about it and I love talking through it. Uh, I wrote down a, a quick little list of some stuff that is maybe less practical, but more stuff that helps me uh, generally. So one thing that I noticed myself doing a lot lately, and I don't know if I've always done this or I just, maybe there's more people around me now. So it's more obvious, but I say the order of operations out loud. Like it helps me. I can think through a lot of things without saying them, but something about, if I don't have a clear path for doing an entire thing, saying it out loud lets me like order it correctly. So a lot of times, like we were working on this thing a couple days ago and I started saying it out loud and realized that I had a fairly big, because of paint, I had a fairly big section of it out of order. Like if I had done it the way that I said it, then it just would not have worked and I would have had to go back and repaint and redo all this stuff. So, you know, I'll I'll talk through... It's to myself, but I have to do it out loud so that someone else is <laughs> listening or something. But I'll talk through every step and say how the assemblies go together, the order that things have to be cut and put together so that I've I've thought through it all the way and I don't get ahead of myself. And that seems to help kind of mitigate some of the, the mistakes that I would just make naturally if I was just like kind of plowing through it. Um, kind of to that, I found... Over the last couple of years, a lot of times when I'm in the shower, and I think that's because I, I'm not like engaged in anything else. You know, it's just like time. You got to go in there and clean yourself. So my brain will somehow fall back to an upcoming project. And I find myself in my mind talking through the intro for a video that we haven't even started yet. I'm mm-hmm. like already going through the how would I present this and like what's the what's the setup going to be and how am I going to like where, you know, how do I need to show this and that type of thing, which doesn't sound like an efficiency thing, but it actually is because it's taking advantage of time. That's otherwise not really that useful. And it's figuring a bunch of stuff out that I would otherwise have to figure out on the spot while Anthony is holding the camera, waiting for me to be ready to actually do it, you know? And so it's been kind of weird a few times we'll come in to to start a new project and they're like, okay, do you know what you're going to say? And I'm like, yep, I figured this out two weeks ago in the shower. (laughs) You know, it's like, 
I mean, I don't say that to them, but like, I know that, yeah, I've got to figure it out because I've already figured this out. <laughs> I already thought through this in some downtime. Um, and then in the actual production of stuff, wrote down a couple of things. One, I'm a big fan of redundancy. So like we have every camera, we have, we have several cameras. Every camera has at least four batteries. Uh, we have a kind of ridiculous number of SD cards and we have multiple microphones. We have rechargeable batteries for all the microphones that are always on the charger. We have extra lights that are, we have redundancy of everything. So at any point in the filming process, if a battery dies, there's a charged one right there waiting. And so I had this kind of all set up when I was shooting by myself. And then when Josh came on, it got better because we organized it a little bit. And then when Anthony came on, I was like, hey, your job is to make sure that we have every piece of gear like ready to grab to go. And so he organized this whole uh, one shelf that is all the battery stuff. He he printed out these little uh, battery holders that are all good batteries. So when something comes off the charger, it drops in this thing. So we have a place to go to get good, you know, warm batteries all the time. Um, he actually, you guys might be able to see it. Nobody else can on the wall here. He made this little, uh, it's a magnetic whiteboard and he 3d printed these little cups and these cups hold SD cards. And so on the whiteboard, he'll write the name of the project, put the cup and drop the card. in it. So we know we have a backup of the existing footage. And then there's a big one at the bottom right there that is clean cards. And so anytime you need a clean card, you go to that one, you grab it, put it in the camera, and when you're done shooting, you put it on the board next to the project. And so <laughs> it sounds dumb. It sounds kind of over, but like overdone. But when you have three or four different videos going on at the same time and you never want to lose footage and you never have to worry about where it is or which card it was on, like that's an awesome way to just make that whole process a little hmm. more brainless. You know, and we have enough other stuff to do. We don't have to worry about like juggling SD cards. And so making some little way to like be able to get to all of your media or all of your, whatever the process is, like maybe it's material for you. Maybe you don't even make videos, having a way to organize your material so that you can just, I think I need this thing and I know exactly where it is and I can go get it. Like that right there will make your entire process better. And for us, we happen to do that a lot with camera gear and SD cards and stuff. Um, Kind of along the same lines, the last thing I wrote down was bottleneck, looking for bottlenecks. So this is something I'm constantly doing with our business and with, um, you know, specifically video production. But even like uh, every week, you know, we put out, I mean, we've talked about this before. Every video has like social stuff with it and it has, you know, there's like thumbnails and you have to write the description. You have to write the article and you have to do all the stuff for every piece of actual content there is. And so we are constantly trying to look for bottlenecks in the process. Like where do things get backed up? And I am actually the biggest bottleneck. We figured out that me being, I mean, that's the truth. Like me being in front of a camera is the biggest bottleneck for everything. And so I don't know a way around that yet, but uh, being able to identify something like that, if I'm not available to shoot, then that means downstream, everything gets pushed off a little bit. And so, you know, we're trying to organize uh, the schedule to make sure that I'm available to be able to shoot so that it can be to 4B to edit so that it can be to Josh to post. And, you know, downstream, that stuff's all going to work. So looking for where things get caught up and then trying to figure out how to make that little thing better. And if that means like getting material from the store, if that's the thing that slows you down, then, you know, I think, David, you've gotten pretty good at this where you, you know, you, you plan your project over the weekend, you design it, and then you have a day that you go get material and you have a day that you shoot. And like you've, you probably don't very often get to the day, the shooting day and be like, oh no, I don't have material because you already took care of that, right? You already got rid of that bottleneck. That's, that's a good way to do it. Along those lines, and Bob, maybe you read this book because I can't think of the title, but there's a couple years ago, I read some book and one of the processes was just to document your process, write down everything like a manual. Even if you work mm. by yourself and you have this manual, you you tend to follow it more, you tend to be more efficient. And if there was ever a reason that you couldn't do what you need to do, another person could come in and just read the manual step-by-step step to do that thing. And that 
just one of those things that helps you be more efficient. Do you know what I'm talking about? Have you read this book? I, no, I haven't, but that makes a whole lot of sense. We were actually talking about doing that internally with um, social media posting because like when it comes to, you know, posting, it's like there's certain kind of, not rules, but there's certain things you need to do for Instagram and there's different things you need to do for Pinterest and for Twitter and for Facebook. And like you, if you don't do the right stuff on the right platform, it kind of falls flat. And when we were talking about kind of spreading out who can post to the eye, like to make stuff accounts and everything, you know, to make it more efficient, we want more people to be able to handle posting to different things, but we have to have a guideline. We have to have a, if you're posting to Facebook, you have to do this thing. Don't forget this to check this box and make sure that blah, 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 blah. And so we talked about kind of doing what you're talking about there, you know, documenting the process and all the ins and outs of each one of those things, just so it's written down. To, and that's really more of a safeguard, but it, the same thing applies where if it's written down, then anybody that comes on or that we trust with it, we can say, here's the guideline, here's the content, go for it. You know, that makes a lot of sense. But I don't know what book that was. <clears throat> if I find it, we'll put it in the show notes. Cool. Um, what other efficiency things? You guys have anything else? Any other thoughts? Well, another one, I guess, uh, I, I'm talking a lot, sorry. I like this stuff. But batch processing things, and mm-hmm. this is kind of what you were talking about with, you know, pre-cutting all your pieces. Yeah, uh, of course. Batch processing, even for getting material, uh, I, I guess this also ties to redundancy. But anytime I have to buy a sheet of plywood, I buy two. Because I know I'm going to use it, right? It's not like I buy two of every single thing that I buy. But anytime I'm getting two-by-fours, I buy a couple extra so that the next time I need two by fours, I will probably have one on hand. Um, do the same thing with plywood. Any, any, you know, if I'm anything that I go through, even on a kind of regular basis, I will buy extra at the time. And if I can afford, if I buy something I don't actually need and I can afford to not return it, then I'll usually keep it around because I'm building like a stock of stuff of materials. So that you know, if you just randomly yeah. need some sort of primer, like oh. Yeah, that's cool. Last time I didn't take back those two extra cans of primer, so I I have them around. Yeah, Um, I always buy extra of everything. Whenever I buy, I always buy extra. Yeah. It's it's kind of a bad habit, but at the same time, it's (laughs) kind of good, because then you have it when you need it. (laughs) Uh, Setting blocks of time to do something, I think, can help you be very efficient. If you know, like, I have a half hour to do this, that's all you do in that half hour. Plus, it also sets a deadline. Deadlines make you work and you you know if you're like okay after 30 minutes i got to move on to this next thing that's going to force you to stay focused and do what you need to do that's true that's something i probably don't do enough of like i don't give myself um i mean I, i think i work pretty quickly but i don't give myself like a hard you have to have this done by this time and that might help me focus a little bit maybe I do that. That that's probably that's probably one of my my biggest uh, methods of being efficient. Is uh, I'll like I said, I say it all the time. I look at the clock and say, okay, in two hours, this part's going to be done. Then we take a break. You know, we reward ourselves. Me and Brett, for instance, uh, or I'll say by Wednesday afternoon, this has to be done. And if that means staying up late so that I can meet that little personal deadline that I set for myself, then so be it. And so that's probably my my best. Uh, method of being efficient is just getting a hard out and sticking to it because i'm really good at that when someone gives me a project and they allow me to meander it just meanders but then when they call me and say okay can we have the installation on this date absolutely and then we jump right in and get it done or you know if it's a client for a video can we have publication date by this date absolutely let's do it but if no one gives me that hard out I'm dilly-dallying, jumping from lily pad to lily pad, playing with this project. Oh, I haven't used this tool in a while. Let me figure out what I need to make something on here. And that's just how my mind wanders. But I, I think the most important thing, too, is as far as efficiency, it sounds so stupid. It's just a, a clean slate, clean the table off. Like whenever we start a big project, I always make sure my work table has nothing on it. I have a tendency to pile up little knickknacks in the lower right-hand corner of my table. So at any given time, if you come to my shop, the lower right corner of my table closest to me always has like pens and pencils and like 
calipers and all the things that I think I'm going to constantly keep grabbing, but it just turns into a little catch-all of junk. So like when that's cleared off the table, then I feel like, okay, now I can do anything. Hmm. It feels like a lot of the things that I'm saying are like, duh, yeah, of course that's what you do to be efficient. But even though they're so obvious that they're not always things that I do. And I don't, you know, I think the, it's, it's not just knowing what you need to know. It's actually doing the action and thinking about it and following through. Yeah. I mean, like you were saying, you'll, you'll put out stuff in the corner that you think you're going to need. Like I, I don't do that. That makes so much more sense than just dropping the thing where you get done with it. Cause that's, I don't do that anywhere else in my life. Like, if I go upstairs and I'm, it's the end of the day and I take off my stuff, you know, and like take off my glasses and my watch and my phone, they have a place. And it's not like I'm, I don't really care where that place is, but I know where it is. It's the same place I end up putting them every day. And it's so that I can get to them the next morning or whatever. When it comes to doing something in the shop, like I'll pick up a screwdriver and use it. And then I don't know what happens to it. (laughs) <laughs> and I don't do that anywhere else in my life. But just in that moment, it just like it disappears. I drop it. I set it down. And by the end of the day, the table is just a mess of covered stuff. You know, there's tools that I don't see because they have other tools on top of them. And I don't know why I do that there. But doing what Jimmy's saying, just having a single place right next to you on the table that you at least put the little hand tools or the pencils or the whatever. So it's right there and you can get to it quickly. That would probably save me a huge amount of time. Um, but I don't, it's, you're right, David, like that's easy to do. I just don't do it. And yeah. I don't know why. <laughs> I think you're, you're in a different mindset. When you, at the end of the day, you have this routine and the end of the day is always exactly the same. you you know, you take off your glasses, your watch, hmm. and it goes here. That's a good point. But when you're working, you are in the zone, and you're you're not thinking about okay, I'm done with the screwdriver, I'm going to put it away. You're thinking about I need to get this out of my way so I can move on to the next step. And sometimes yeah. being messy helps you be efficient because you're not letting things get in the way. Yeah, that's true. Hmm. That's something I'd like to experiment though with, like if I could get into a better habit of just making a little place where all that stuff goes. Maybe I, you know, I always put it down with my right hand. So it's at least on one side of the table or something. That'd be kind of interesting to figure out. Maybe, maybe a drawer for my bench that is just for stuff I'm using today. And, you know, if I need to get it out of the way, it can all just be pushed into that drawer. And then when the project's done, that drawer has to be empty and ready for the next project. Actually, you know, it would be kind of cool. And this would add another thing to the shop. But kind of what you're saying there, but make it like, think of a doctor who goes in for surgery. Like they don't lay down their tools on top of the patient as they're working, right? They they have a separate little tray that has all the tools and stuff that they need that's pulled in. And I know this is something people do in their shop. I just don't do it. And so I'm having the revelation of like, maybe it would make sense to have a like, this is the tool tray. This is the thing where I put the tools and let the bench, let the work table be the project Mm -hmm. and not you know what i mean to kind of keep them separate um what a simple thing but uh, i do do that i'll do that for a project i'll keep a bin i have these bins that that we make out of scrap wood and i actually did a video for make magazine years ago where i made four of them and that was the beginning of that bin system that i have and i have a bin for a project and if, if we have like a lot of things to do for instance ice picks we make more bins for that project and then when they get used up, they come back into the system. And if I'm working on a project, everything that's important for that project will go in a bin or the tools used to make that project. So, or like while I'm working on the table, we need to clear the table. Everything goes into one of those bins or two or three of them. So that is something that we do do. <laughs> do do. You said do do. I'm a five-year-old. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but Bob, I want to talk a little bit, just talk about uh, you your your memory card thing people are always very curious hopefully i'm not boring anybody with this little bit of information about how we do videos and i've talked about my method in the past and it hasn't changed it just developed on its own i have one memory card in the camera and it's been the same memory card for this at least the last two years it is only one memory card it's like a 68 megabyte one and as every single time i'm done shooting that day it goes behind my telephone. I take it out of the camera. I stick it in the back of my telephone so that I w- later on in the day for future Jimmy, when future Jimmy's at the computer, he goes, 
What are the, oh, I need to download. Oh, it's in the back of my phone. So I'm always setting stuff up for the future version of myself, who's always going to be like, okay, what happened today? Because I'm always like disconnected from the past and the future. <laughs> so even like whenever we're done shooting, Brett will pull the, the chip out and go, here, stick this in your phone. Or he'll do it for me. He'll say, I put the chip in the back of your phone. So when I get home, I download all the information, whether I shot three different projects that day, it's all on the same chip. If I had multiple chips, I would go haywire. Everything would go off the rails. Everything has to linearly happen on the same chip. If we shoot in the morning on one video and then we go to the next, it all goes on the chip. And if, and I've said this before, I've never had a catastrophe, but if I do, or if I ever did, all the old footage for everything that's not published stays on the chip as long as possible. Once it gets published, I'll wipe the card. Like Brett will say, is everything on here published? And I'll be like, you know what? We could wipe the card and we, we go back to a full empty card. But if there are projects in play, they always stay on the oldest part of the chip. So as like, maybe the, the project's not published, but I'll delete whatever I need to make room for what we're shooting. So everything is kind of like a round robin. It's always coming back around. So he's like, oh, we ran out of space. I'm like, all right, delete that time lapse that I did because I already have a redundancy of it but the video might not be published, but we don't actually erase the card until there's nothing I can change anymore. For mm-hmm. instance, the video, because if I lose my computer, if I lose my computer or if my hard drive completely bails, at least it's this, this piece is on that GoPro chip. This piece is on that camera chip, but every camera has its own chip and that's it. And like, I, I don't have any extra chips in my wallet or anywhere else because that will just mean like, okay, what's on this chip? What do I do with it? Oh, let me just put it here. And then I put it there and then I forget where I put it. So if it's in the camera, then I know where it is. If it's out of the camera, if there's extra ones, I just I just lose them. That's just how my life is. You got to do what works for you. So. And I, my mine is very similar to that. Yeah. Each camera has its own card. And that card only goes into that camera. And at the end of the day, it just goes into the office and gets dumped onto the computer and then in the morning it goes right back in the camera i think you know ours is a combination of we have multiple people handling multiple projects and so there's this kind of turnover we have a a, i don't even know how many cards we have now but um it got to where we had them in sd card holders on different people's desks and it was like do you have the card that has the thing and we're like i don't know maybe so we have to go through look and so anthony's solution to be able to group the cards on like a temporary, you know, like a whiteboard area that says these cards have this project on them has been super helpful. And a good example of this, and we always, like you're saying, we always leave the footage on the cards until the final video is on YouTube. Because at that point, we've already copied the footage off onto a drive to be edited. And so that give the gives us a full res, unmessed with version still on the cards. And usually we've, don't have to take advantage of that. It's just a safeguard. So last week, um, we had a project that was whatever, I don't even remember which one it was. And Anthony had all the footage on his drive and we sent it to Forby. Forby edited it, sent it back. Anthony took his drive with him on vacation because he had to do one little bit of stuff, forgetting to copy all of that footage to my drive. So the edit came, and I was on vacation. So the edit came back and there was no full res footage on any of the drives here for Josh to put online. And we were like trying to figure out he was going to have to drive to Louisville to get the drive from Anthony's house and all this. And then Forby was like, wait, we keep all the footage on the SD cards. It's on the wall. And that right there saved like the whole week. It was awesome. Um, Yeah. So just the fact that it was on there until it's on YouTube, you know, in that case, it really saved us. And then after that, we have, we have a whole backup process. Like once it's done, we take the full res footage and we compress it down and put it on a server that's then backed up remotely. And then we clear off the cards and stuff. We have a whole thing there that we're actually continuing to evolve. Um, and yeah, I won't talk about it, but we have like a whole server. We're now editing from a server in 4K and it's awesome. Anyway, uh yeah, it's super cool. Anything similar to what Dustin did? Did you see the uh, video the other day? I did. His his is more of like a retrieval kind of backup thing. Yeah. No, this is a uh, we're using the Synology 
network attached server that I have that if I've had it for years and years and we use it for backup, but now I've got it upgraded to 10 gigabit networking and upgraded all of our network so that we can actually edit 4k video over the network. So all of that footage is now going to be on the server as soon as it comes off the card, which will cut out the thing of it going from Anthony's drive to my drive. And we could actually, if we needed to, we could download it anywhere from anywhere which would be ridiculous because it's a huge amount of footage. But anyway, that's a goal. I, I, I love learning nerding out about that stuff. So I'm assuming the computers are then etherneted into the the server. Is that correct? Yeah. All of our computers here are on like a 10 gigabit ethernet now. And they have been anyway, just so that it's faster for us to get stuff moved around. Uh, it was all one gigabit, which is typical network. And I just kind of upgraded everything to be able to get it on... 10 so it's crazy fast anyway super nerd stuff we can talk more about it later if you're <laughs> <Okay>. interested <laughs> yeah. all right you guys got anything else on this i don't want to like efficiency so much that people yeah are i think it's, time not being it's mostly about just execution and yeah. doing the obvious yeah i think looking for pain points looking for stuff that slows you down or bottlenecks and then just addressing those it will help you be more efficient because i mean it doesn't do any good to be more efficient on things that are already efficient. So. And, yeah. Okay. I was just going to say, you don't have to be efficient if you don't want to. If you just want to fiddle around in the shop and just enjoy the moment and, and doing stuff and figuring it out as you go, there's nothing wrong with that. That's to my point. That's to my point. I was just about to say, sometimes when I find, like, like we'll realize, oh, we're out of material and the store is closed. There's nothing we can do till tomorrow morning at eight. All right. Well, you know what? Let's start that other project that we were mm-hmm. going to do. So right there, it's inefficient for one thing, but it gives me an opportunity to do something else. So Brett and I are always looking for those opportunities. Like, oh, okay, this is no longer available for us to do. Right. Well, that's no longer anything we could do about it. Let's do this other thing. And so when we look for when there are bottlenecks, we just switch gears. Yeah, that's efficiency in and of itself, right? Just because you're not going well. I guess the night's over. Yeah. You know, you're like, okay, now let's take advantage of, you know, we can't fix what we can't fix. So let's take advantage of the opportunity to do something else and make the night useful or whatever. Yeah. Cool. Uh, Well, I've already talked about Patreon. So you guys don't have that time to figure out what you're going to talk about. (gasps) What have you been watching? So um, this week, I want to point everybody to Threadbanger. They've been on YouTube for like 14 years since the the beginning. And it's one of my favorite channels. It's not a family-friendly channel, but um, Rob, the it's a husband and wife team. Rob had a massive heart attack a couple months ago, and um, he survived. Uh, he was, apparently he was dead for a little bit, and non-responsive, eyes open type thing, and um, but he's, he's recovering. And I just want to send good vibes that way. It's one of my favorite channels. Again, it's not family friendly, um, but it's like a I would I would call it an anti DIY channel. They do fun projects, and just want to send good vibes that way. Wow! All right, I'm gonna talk about Blake Weber. We we all met Blake Weber. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, we met Bob. You yeah. and I met Blake at uh, WorkbenchCon. Anyway, Blake did a great video, the ultimate CNC enclosure. And the best thing I loved about the video is he didn't show himself building anything. It was like a big sales pitch for what he made. The way he made the video, he just showed all the features. Uh, Like the way it got made was almost like this old Tony technique where it wasn't there. And then he like snapped his fingers and then it was there. And then he just talked about what he did, which was kind of refreshing. It's a 10, over 10 minutes, about a 10 minute video. And he basically just, just showed what he did in a really dynamic, interesting way. So it's a different type of video in the way that he's not actually building anything, but it's almost the point of like you, everybody watching knows how I did this, but let me just show you the features that I did that are unique. So I thought it was a refreshing take on a YouTube build video and the ultimate CNC enclosure by Blake Weber and Blake, you've asked me if I would do your podcast. And of course I would, you let me know when. So that's a little note to Blake. Cool. Uh, Mine is something Entirely different because I, my family was out of town this last week and I worked late pretty much every night. And the last couple nights that they were gone, I was like, you know what? I'm going to sit down and I'm going to watch a movie. I'm going to make myself not work and watch something cool that I wouldn't watch ever otherwise. One night I watched Alita Battle Angel, which is a total stinker. Don't waste your time on that. So I was really disappointed. And the next night I was like, you know, that was a waste of a good night. 
So I need to come up with something else. I watched um, a movie called The Dawn Wall. Have you heard of this? So there's a movie I watched like uh, earlier in the year. It's a climbing movie called Free Solo. And it's about this dude who, which is, it's an excellent movie. You should totally watch it too. It's a documentary uh, about this dude who free climbed, free soloed, with, which means climbing with no ropes or protection of any kind. I heard I heard his NPR video, uh, his NPR interview about it. So I was, it was he climbed El Cap, and it's just ugh. that movie will make your stomach feel that feeling when you get to a place that you feel really unsafe. Just you get that way watching that movie. And anyway, so in that movie, there's a guy uh, named Tommy Caldwell who, being someone who used to climb a lot, I heard his name, but I didn't really know anything about him. This movie, The Don Wall, is about him and about his whole life and stuff. And it's crazy and awesome. And I actually liked it better than Free Solo, I think. Um, it's, you just need to go watch it. It's one of those things that's motivating, whether you're a climber or you're into outdoor stuff or not. This dude lived, has lived his entire life toward a single goal. And you can tell that he's like a person who's put every single thing that he has into this goal. And uh, it's it's really inspiring. So it made me a couple of things. It made me really want to get back into climbing and get outside more than I've already wanted to get outside, which is fantastic. And it also just made me, uh, I don't want to say refocus, but like think about that it's okay to be driven on things as long as you're, you know, you've got the right kind of head about you and like you're not letting things lapse. Like it's it's okay to be a little crazy about doing the thing that you love, and so it it's a good movie. You should definitely check it out. Uh, and I think it was on it was on Netflix or Amazon Prime. I don't remember, but it was free. It didn't cost me anything to watch it because I had one of those services. So I'll I'll put a link to it and check it out. All right, you guys got anything else? Uh, I think we're good. Cool. Let's let's do the after All show. Right. Figure out, figure out what we're going to talk about there. I guess that's it for this time. And uh, we'll see you guys next time. All right. I love trying to be efficient.